Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier with a mission to connect brewers worldwide with the family farms that grow their hops. YCH is proud to provide brewers in Australia and New Zealand with quality hop products and brewing solutions to elevate their beers. Learn more at yakimachief.com. As soon as that niche becomes significant, they'll delist a couple of the people that actually did the pioneering work and should be allowed to, you know, take the cream of that research and development. And Coles and Woolworths are taking the cream of the market. Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on 28 April 2022. For this week only, I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Australian Brewers News, and I'm joined by senior journalist Claire Burnett and industry consultant Sabrina Kunz. Welcome to you both. Hey, Matt. Morning. It's going to be a bit of a shake-up next week. Looking forward to it. <laughs> so a bit teasing that right out of the gate. So uh, there we go. I'm going to be away next week and you know the, see what the mice play. So um, I'm <laughs> heading off to... Uh, hey, thanks to our good friends at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging. Uh, I'm going to CBC in uh, Minnesota, Minnesota, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, to cover the Craft Brewers Conference, um, which is the first time for me. And so I'll be away next week when we record. But we're going to be joined by a somebody who's been on the podcast before, Ian Watson. Um, Fingers crossed. Brewer Ian Watson. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, I mean, he's a, so he'll be a wild card. Yeah, I'm exactly. Excited. So Sabrina will be playing the role of me. Uh, Claire, I'm Claire. Will, Claire will still be Claire and Ian will be Sabrina. Yeah, that's um, the plan. That'll be the plan. I hope that we can pull that off in your absence. I'm actually looking forward. It'll, it'll actually I'm be concerned. a podcast I look forward to listening back to because I don't have to listen to my own trouble. Oh, I know. I do that's hate it. so weird. So anyway, uh, yeah, so I'll be uh, in transit listening to it, which will be very, very exciting. But anyway, there's been quite a lot about this week. So, Claire Burnett, let's get into the news. And we start with the IBA's 10-year roadmap out for consultation. Absolutely. So, uh, as you probably will have seen, the IBA has released its uh, much-anticipated 10-year roadmap, which it called Future Brew 2031. And it's asking for uh, feedback from the industry. And from its members. Uh, So those who haven't read the report yet, um, its key vision is for independent beer to reach 15% of the of market share and the IBA has also set itself some really interesting uh, policy focuses. So tap contracts have been an issue for successive IBA boards and the report revives them as an area of interest for the IBA. It's also looking at uh, the nationalisation of container deposit schemes uh, which have placed a heavy regulatory burden on breweries. Um, So that's also a priority for them. Lots of interesting things are in the roadmap and we will discuss below the fold. Well, and certainly uh, we will be discussing below the fold, but pause if you haven't already listened to my chat with Kylie, where we actually go through in a little bit more detail and hear a little bit more of the the thinking behind it. And it's probably worth uh, going to have a listen to that um, special edition. Um, It was a little bit too much to fit into our news podcast and it was a something that was certainly deserved its own uh, little bit of a, a conversation so there's a half hour chat if you want to uh, be up with everything before we uh, come to back to it in below the fold now moving on from that disaster proofing on the agenda as newstead brewing pauses yes yeah, so following this year's recent flooding disaster in queensland and northern new south wales brisbane's 
Newstead Brewing Co. has closed its Milton Brewing operations for the foreseeable future. Could be several months as refurbishments get underway. It's looking at ways in the meantime to protect its tanks, to disaster-proof the brewery, uh, looking at barrier protection modular units. Uh, so we spoke to uh, Newstead's Marcus Cox and also Justin Fox um, in his capacity at Bespoke. Just looking at ways that you can, obviously there's no way you can predict or prevent if it's going to be 20 metres high of water, um, but there are things that we can do uh, as an industry to disaster proof focus on safety when these kinds of things happen little bit of news little bit of advice on that one as we do as we do (laughs) (laughs) better beer stays strong for mighty craft but maybe some of the rest hasn't Mm, indeed (laughs) that was was my addition to the headline there (laughs) so mighty craft has uh this morning posted strong results for the third quarter of its financial year with revenues rising 105 percent to 19.8 million a large proportion of this was from better beer sales which reached 7.8 million and um 1.8 million liters in that quarter However, continued COVID disruption led to venue sales dropping to 25% of total business sales. And as we reported last time, um, having popped into the Mighty Craft investor call, uh, they have confirmed that they will be looking to uh, offload uh, their non-core assets, (laughs) interestingly enough. So they've confirmed that in their quarterly results as well. So we should be expecting some news on that in the coming two months, I believe, as well. So some movement going on at Mighty Craft. Definitely discuss that. Um, <laughs> Convoy doubles down on New Zealand. It has indeed. Uh, so Convoy has committed to further growth across the ditch with the appointment of Tom Adams as head of New Zealand operations. Convoy recently completed a $30 million capital raise and announced plans to expand into interna- international markets, including the US, UK and the rest of Europe. And also this focus on New Zealand. Uh, it's really hammering home at the minute. Um, also in New Zealand, we had an update this morning as well, I believe. Crosby Hops has partnered with Hop Revolution, which grows and delivers premium New Zealand hops in a deal which includes exclusive US hop processing, cold storage and order fulfillment in those markets. Uh, As part of the distribution agreement, uh, brewers in North America will have access to exclusive Hop Revolution varieties like Pacific Sunrise and other New Zealand grown proprietary blends. That'll be one that we talk about in Below the Fold. And I will also add, because it's not in the show notes, uh, HPA's crop report for 2022 um, has gone live this morning. Uh, You can read all about the yields, um, HPA's uh, capacity to meet contracts, their recommendation that you do contract, um, a little bit about the Australian hop season uh, in that. And then I also had a chat with Owen Johnson where we dig a little bit deeper um, and, you know, Sometimes it's just better to have a bedtime story read to you than read it yourself. Um, (laughs) So we go through that report in a uh, Brewery Pro podcast. So we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, Now moving on, uh, just another one one of the things that uh, is unique to Brews News, we trawl the trademark um, register. So Um, you don't have to. So you don't have to. (laughs) And uh, and look, it's always compelling reading, um, but some of the things that it turns up and – this quarter, um, trademark activity highlights the growth of no alk. Yes, an interesting one. This was from um, our journalist Vivian Topalovich. Uh, 
No alcohol trademark applications are on the rise, um, with recent numbers indicating significant growth for the trend. So within the three-month period from January to March 2022, 211 trademark applications were lodged and accepted in IP Australia in category 32, which is beer, um, and 52 of those trademarks were listed as no alcohol. Which is a lot of activity in that market. So, so I think the we 32 might. is beer and other alcohol. So yes. it's, the, it's all all. It's basically all, beer, yeah, yeah. It's all non-alc, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, special uh, mention to Sabrina, who, <laughs> did, who went through the wall. <laughs> anyway, that is the news you need to know if you want to know what matters and what, what has happened this week that you probably need to know to keep abreast of the industry. And with the news finished, let's go below the fold. So the first one is that if we look at the number of trademarks that were being filed in the period January to March, there are a few, several, a number uh, for Endeavour. So like that's as in Pinnacle drinks, as in Pinnacle yep. drinks, Endeavour. A number of beer uh, brands in particular, or individual beers. So we'll just put that on the list. Hold so on, aren't they the biggest distributor of? Just, <laughs> I'm getting there, right? So we've got that, right? So that's one data, data point that yes. we've seen, right? Mm-hmm. So my next thread is, um, you know, the Mighty Craft report that came out this morning, uh, Q3, had this great line in it that says, the company announced it has secured an increase of over 8,500 additional distribution points in Q3, taking the total number of uh, to 33,000. This is important as distribution is the key forward indicator of future sales. And it then goes on to talk about its relationship and increased access to Dan Murphy's and BWS. So Endeavour mm. drinks. Yep. Which is the which is the only outlet when they launched mm-hmm. the beer. It was a beer that was made for Dan yep. Murphy's. And they had a deal with them. Yep. That's how it happened. Also, um, just while we're on that, very quickly because the, we didn't talk about it last week because it was just breaking that morning, and then I went on an investor call for Endeavour Drinks. Oh, that's right. That that's where we found out how much one point three billion. One point three billion is what Pinnacle Drinks contributes to. Uh, Endeavour's revenues. Um, so they make a lot of money for uh, from yeah. yeah, from Dan Murphy's and BWS. Uh, yes. Yeah. So so we've got that. And then my third bow to this kind of string that I'm going on is the IBA's 10-year roadmap, where it has a key data point, but it found that the vast majority of drinkers are purchasing through large retailers. So if I was to step back on all of those data points and I was a small brewery or if I was looking at what is the biggest elephant in the room that has the potential to be a major, major inhibitor to the growth to the 15% target for independent craft beer. But the, the thing that they're all hitching their growth wagon to at the moment but is potentially going to be the thing that is going to make them come a cropper down the track is, is the way I would argue because all of the breweries that are expanding – um, you're seeing massive distribution through the big retailers. Mm-hmm. Which is all fine and mm. dandy, but what we have seen and what we know anecdotally and what the filing of trademarks confirms is that Endeavour Drinks is able to, at any point it wants to, mm-hmm. um, remove your product yep. and replace your product yep. with a generic version of their own, which yep, is in fact cat. the Woolworths model. That mm. is how they've made margins in Woolworths. Replace rice with years. rice, wine with wine. Yep. It's happening in craft beer. And so, so you know, the IBA are going after tap contracts as a major, um, as a major play. But I would argue um, that the place that independent beer and, in fact, Lion and 
um, CUB. CUB also have an interest in Absolutely. wanting to play is that actually this increased growth, this $1.3 billion, this role of Dan Murphy's and BWS is crushing mm-hmm. routes to market for small breweries and they can deshelve you at any Anytime. moment. You well, have uh, no control. It's the Facebook uh, model of marketing. But, but right? that's what I was saying. So at the moment, everyone loves them because any brewery that expands and, and, and you know, again, not – I don't mean to call anybody out to associate them with this, except it's something that I've really noticed myself recently is in all of the Facebook groups, Mountain Culture, Mm -hmm. um, which was a tiny little brewery that Claire wrote about 18 months ago at the start of COVID, Mm -hmm. that, you know, they were only going to be taproom only. And then when they reopened and they've built a new brewery and suddenly they are in really odd places for a, a tiny little brewery because of the distribution muscle of mm-hmm. I, th- I think they're liquor land or they, they seem to be tied in mm. with um the the, the coles side yeah um, but wh- whoever the they're doing it mm-hmm. and they've built a huge brewery and that's doing their expansion and i could probably list half a dozen other breweries that you're suddenly seeing but at any one time so it's that's what's making their growth possible so that's what they're building and also why on. they don't want to touch Endeavour drinks, why exactly. they would never complain about So them. why we're, we're talking about a duopoly that mm. is literally sitting between producers and consumers. Mm-hmm. And is competing with them directly at the and same time. is now cre- competing with them directly, in, increasingly competing with them directly by offering their own products. Um, and brewers have no control over it. And in fact, people love it. Um, you know, I've got that in, in air commas in the sense that, you know, they can get into um, large distribution. But actually the things that people have to do to their brands, the volumes that they have to promise, the, mm-hmm. the changes yep. they have to make to their labels, yep. so on and so forth. And through this, Dan Murphy's is amassing Endeavour Group's pinnacle, however you want to cut it. The brand is amassing insane volumes of data mm. way better than anywhere else around mm-hmm. what is selling what's not selling consumer preferences mm-hmm. which they are then leveraging into making their own products well yeah. i played this about 18 months you, you did and when we were talking about it because it was when they suddenly started getting into the charity beer market with yeah. huey you know the, yeah. the, the mm-hmm. you know, we talked for, about for, that didn't we yeah. for, for, for drought relief so mm-hmm. it's not just they're going after the great northerns with their Yep. You know, Blue Healer Macro-esque. or whatever it was called. Yeah, um, they are actually going straight into every every mm-hmm. significant niche. And I, and I have to say, look to play devil's advocate a little bit. People love convenience. People I love don't price disagree. and <laughs> all of the things. And and the craft brewers love the distribution mm-hmm. that there is. And so there are those positives. But the downside is the craft brewing industry grew on the back of the lack of innovation that was taking place amongst the big brewers yeah. because they've they've got their thing. And started with a war against a duopoly against on tap contracts, right? Mm-hmm. Saying that was a reduction in access to market. And, and Coles now, and Woolies, as you say, are amassing data for what sells. Mm-hmm. They've got not a skerrick of interest in what the next thing might be because they've got well, 600 breweries yeah, that are all doing, it doing their them. research and development yeah, for them yeah. who are desperate to get listed onto their shelves. Mm-hmm. They will then sell it. As soon as that niche becomes significant, they'll yeah. delist a couple of the people mm-hmm. that actually did the pioneering work and should be allowed to you know, take yep. the cream of that research and development. And Coles and Woolworths are taking the cream of the market. I look at this and go, 
to me, it was the biggest glaring hole in the IBA report in mm-hmm. terms of what is the next 10 years because they talk about s- supply chain security, mm-hmm. but it all looks backwards. So the supply chain is backwards. Yep, like ingredients, you mean, it, rather than... Yeah, and, and manufacturing. And it does talk about packaging and so on and so forth. But I was like, the biggest issue is route to market. So so it's not for the IBA to mm-hmm. own, um, and we can talk about other aspects of the report, but you connect all of those things up. And I just thought, mm-hmm. you know, I had a discussion with somebody at one of the large breweries the other day and they were talking about how um you know Coles and Woolworths see them coming and they just think money and so their costs of shelving a product um and and marketing a product within the Dan's portfolio is so extreme mm-hmm. that it's actually becoming unworkable because Endeavor just go well the big businesses have got lots of money and so this they're really screwing both ends of town, right? Mm-hmm. They're really, you know, and it's the same conversation that have been had. So, you know, the, the the next big interesting thing for me is we've got this problem here. We've got this barrier to market for, for craft breweries and it might be good today, mm-hmm. but you have no control over when you're all of a sudden going to be delisted. Okay. I'm going to yep. ask you a question. Yep. What is the solution? Yeah, so... We're, 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 mm-hmm. At Bruce News, we're very good at pointing out the problems. <laughs> so <laughs> We don't often have a solution. So it's really interesting you say that because I was looking at... So one of the... the my next thing was going to be one of the big questions we had coming out of COVID was whether direct-to-consumer um, sales would continue to increase. And there are some interesting data points that are coming out of the US now that are talking about, in fact, they're not holding as steady as they were and things in the digital space that are actually not about craft beer at all, but things like uh, increasing costs of Facebook ads, changes to Facebook, the fact that breweries are not necessarily marketing on um, other digital platforms like TikTok that have got inbuilt commerce coming up, um, changes to Google algorithms, those sorts of advertising and digital streams are actually impacting direct-to-consumer goods. So that's not necessarily in the beer space, but the question then becomes the direct-to-consumer links that occurred where somebody would go online and buy from their own brewery, which is the best-case scenario for our breweries, is that going to continue and how do you break through the digital walls that are there because Facebook is the, I mean, Matt, you've made this point around if all your communications occur through Facebook, you're renting they space. Own you. yeah, they, they, they own, own you. you. We've literally done an article about this because Facebook went down and obviously everyone's main like route to communicate with their audience just dropped off in so, seconds with no warning. So I don't know whether I'm pointing out another challenge, but I guess what I'm saying is if the alternative to, um, you know, if we were as an industry to rail together, big and small beer, what would our alternative be? I mean, that is talking about... You're cult- talking about breaking a duopoly. Correct. But Australia loves at, a duopoly. And, and, well, <laughs> and, and, and that's where, you know, the, the, the gravity, like, and I did this concept of gravity I talk about, yeah. you know, there, there is just these this constant low-level pulling down... Um, you know, it doesn't take too much force mm-hmm. to raise your hand above gravity, but yeah. try holding it there. Yeah. And that's where yeah. this idea of, and we've got a huge continent, highly concentrated, mm-hmm. yep. um, huge distribu- distribution costs, um, and, you know, people want, and at the end of the day, people want price and convenience. A- and, and those are the things. And so I guess, you know, I come back to, so, so, there's th- so the direct-to-consumer play is obviously one that breweries are really going to have to, continue to keep their eye on and um, quite frankly a lot of them 
you know, th- that marketing side, the the digital comm side, the how do you get them to buy from you side, the create community, all of those things that cause people to buy direct from you is going to become even more important. Mm. And then the second thing is that if you are not already large enough to be nationally ranging and you're not important enough a brand that you or, or any one of your products is not important enough um, – you really have to be testing your business model at this stage to yep. say because the place that a brewery can can survive right now is by bringing people to your location to be consuming on site um, and getting those bigger margins and that's not about actually tap contracts that's that's okay. venues and that's bringing people to your venue and creating your community but and in the direct retail to consumer space, this is where it's funny the retail space, the independent brewers aren't competing by and large against the big two because they're not making the big sellers for those guys. They're not making the great northerns. They're not yep. making those sorts of things. The person that an independent brewer is competing against in any niche that, they, that they're currently in is these contract beers that Coles and Woolies are making to – to sit it, on the same it's shelf, the other independent breweries, and, and then the, the then the endeavour or whatever. Yeah. So actually, it's a really unlevel playing field. And if your business model, as you say, is to be in the you know, nationally ranged or even you know regionally ranged significantly, look at how many other breweries are playing in that same space because it's you, you so know. so tough, yeah. right? Particularly when, as soon as you succeed, one of you is going to be shot by Colin well, Woolies like so they can go into that market with their own... Pre- precisely, beer. which they, uh, if we look at the trademarks, they clearly are. And so, you know, again, you know, my whole thing was, uh, and I want to come back to the IBA report because there's lots of really great stuff mm. in there and it, uh, it was really well done. But this was the sort of, I sat back and I was like, this is the glaring... And again, it's a little bit like why tap contracts have sat on the list for a decade because we're talking about large-scale systemic change that is actually well beyond the beer industry. You need a huge legal team. You need years. You need money. Like yeah, You need to know what's going on with the ACCC. It's massively problematic, but I just think it's something that breweries really need to understand that – you know, even if they get in mm-hmm. and and then they write a business plan and they they draw down capital to increase their production, which we are knowing breweries are because they've been nationally ranged, that mm-hmm. can end for you at any one time. Yeah, which arbitrarily, is right? Yeah, you you um, we've just seen um this happen in New Zealand. There's been an inquiry into the duopoly of um supermarkets, which is where most of the beer is, and, and these are all the stories that came out of it. So mm-hmm. I, I just think it's um. It's one that Brews News should keep an eye on and the industry as a whole should keep the conversation and going on. Do you know what I think it is as well? Is the the IBA's report is based on what brewers tell them is important. If a brewer doesn't tell them that they think this is important, it's not going to go in the report. It's not going to be an area of policy. This is one of the great focus. challenges in this you know, conflicting interest, you know, conflict of interest thing. Because on one hand, breweries do want to be ranged. No one's going right. to speak out about because mm-hmm. they have such power and if you want to look at the indicia of businesses that have too much power, hmm. it's when people refuse to speak out about it because they they, they will so much power. So are we whistleblowers right now? Like, well, no. You know what I mean? Like it, it, I, I feel – No, but, you know, you, like, you do. You go, are we 
Can we talk like, about this? You'll never see this. You, you will Can never see this? this sort of story in the mainstream paper because who are the biggest advertisers in mainstream media? Because I said that to Matt the first time. I was like, why is no one talking about this? Look and I was like, huge he was like, who are the advertisers, Claire? And I was for, like, ah. You know, for, 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 for groceries <laughs> yeah. and alcohol mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. things like that. So... You, and and, and their business models are screwed. You know, like fortunately, yeah. I'm such a bad businessman that, <laughs> <laughs> that we don't mind who we insult. But it is uh, well, it's it's one of those things. We go, is this okay to talk about? But it mm. seems to me like that's what we sh- as an industry, as an industry, that's, that's, what that's we why you call be, it the elephant in the room. It yeah. is. It's yeah. the thing that we should be talking about. And you know, people smarter than us um, should have some of the answers and can have some of the answers. But you know, the role that. Um, and, and there's some good stuff in the IBA report anyway, the, in terms of upskilling. So I, I, I think, yeah, so, so yeah. I think, yeah. think we've sort we've of chickened all this yep, one enough. We have, um, yeah. But uh, um, what else did we like in the IBA roadmap? Well, I do have to say, I, again, mm. great chat with uh, Kylie talking, mm-hmm. you know, sort of digging into depth and talking about a lot of these issues because it's mm. stuff that the the IBA is going to have to grapple with. You know, changes of membership mm. because the membership has to reflect enough of a common interest that everyone's on the same page. Yeah. Um, for some of these things. So go have a listen to, to, to that chat because I raise a lot of this directly with Kylie. Lovely. I, I think, um, you know, like there's obviously been a lot of work, a lot of the focus groups, you know, these insights look really obvious when they're set out on a piece of paper, but actually the level of work to synthesise information to get to that point. So I'm sure this was a considerable amount of work. And congratulations to the New South Wales government. <laughs> Again, yeah. you know, we, we very rarely yep. <laughs> congratulate government. But very rarely. This is a state or a provincial government. Mm-hmm. Have funded a funded national. Funded uh, something yep. to benefit an industry nationally. That's um, why they got number one spot on the States of Brewing Report. That's well right. done, New South Wales. How, how are you going, Queensland, with your craft beer? Report? Yeah, Queensland. <laughs> craft beer strategy. <laughs> well, we know there are pockets of Queensland local government that are doing really good things. Yes. Well, that's and that's the thing, yeah. yeah. Um, Shout so out to Sunshine Coast. Sunshine Coast. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think they've hit on some of the really big things. Attracting a talented workforce is... Well, I have been saying it for years. Everybody uh-huh. else has been saying it for years. We, I mean, it's come out of the IBA report, but it was the same issue in New Zealand, right? Yep. And actually, when you're talking about talent, quite often we're talking trans-Tasman. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I was in New Zealand, I was like, stop trying to poach our brewers. Go away. I don't want to work with you because I don't want our brewers to leave New Zealand. So, it is um, – it, it's a huge issue. I think um, the CDC – uh, this co- this concept around nationalising a CDC is CDS. <laughs> the container deposit scheme. That's I cool. think is really really good. Like that is one that would change, like have a tangible impact. So that sort of reducing regu- mm-hmm. regulatory burdens. That's a real thing for small business. Oh, so yeah. I thought that was really good. Um, and I think the the overwhelming thing that I stepped away from though is there is so much work in here. Oh, my God. Like an obscene amount. An obscene amount of work. And the IBA is such a small organisation. These might be the right things. But but 10 years might not be. They are highly ambitious. Mm -hmm. And we know that craft breweries are are struggling with where to invest their money, time and effort already. And Mm -hmm. we've discussed some of the... And there are a lot of these things that if you are a small brewery in a regional part of Australia, just trying to get people through your front door, Mm -hmm. you're going, how is any of this going to affect me? But as this is where things like the, you know, the, 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 the big 
retailers and you know tap contracts and some of the other issues that we talk about regularly if people wonder why we beat on the drum because these things do flow down and they change the scope of the whole industry over time right yeah. so yeah. if you're not thinking about it today it's going to catch you like where we're at mm. now in 15 years time mm-hmm. um so yeah, it's just an obscene amount of work. And so, congratulations the, uh, to the IBA. Yeah, yeah um, and absolutely. look, it's really ambitious and I hope that their members get behind it. And Well, going back to the government funding, the, the other thing I should have said about that is congratulations to New South Wales government, but also this is why you need a national body yep. because they don't give money just to individuals. To make, You need a body who is recognised by the government. The government wants to consult with one body, not yeah. 57 breweries. Oh, definitely. Um, and Although they even mentioned the like having like small clusters, like the South yep. West yeah. Brewers Alliance was really important and they would be encouraging the development of those locally, which... I also told you so on yeah. that one. <laughs> I go. said that I said that like a few weeks ago when we were talking about um, Wobber yep. and things like yeah. that. Yeah. So like it, the IBA knows it can't do everything. It okay. knows it can't do everything, but getting things resourced and funded is really hard. Yeah. So good on them. I think there's a lot of really good stuff in there. And that's um, enough. I told you so. So I think for one yeah, episode. Maybe. <laughs> now better be yeah. So pull. That's the one thing we haven't pulled back out of that. Love the description of non-core assets. We're going oh, to be... I just thought that was <laughs> so cool. Because <laughs> uh, that sounds to me like... Um, going to, you I, were been, always like to the side. We never thought you were that important. I was well, like, that's rude. Considering they were founders first and <laughs> yeah. the whole business was set up around these businesses, yeah, suddenly yeah. they're non-core assets, <laughs> which is a little bit like when I had to read my um, travel insurance, which in a time of COVID yeah. is very, very important. And... That's a little bit like it sort of says, in the event that we have to re- return your model remains to Australia. <laughs> so it's kind of like <laughs> non-core assets is the equivalent of model remains is to dead bodies. So, so we can only like, assume that oh, so we can only assume that they're I mean I read it immediately as they're offloading their interest in the small breweries. The small yep. breweries. That got them started. Yeah, that's why I mean that was my and we don't know this for a fact. Maybe non-core well, assets is like the extra photocopier that they're trying to sell or something. I, I, I mean, I read it as um, <laughs> However, divesting. Divesting I'm not sure. Well, they, they pretty much said that because we reported that in their last Yes, so that report. wasn't actually in their report. It was in their investor call, which is why I go to investor calls because that's where all the good stuff this is. This is where your value goes, um, people. This is why it should be... Me sitting on hour-long <laughs> investor calls with Goldman Sachs. That's what happens. If you don't already uh, subscribe to us, give us some money as well. That's yeah. to pay Claire to sit on the investor calls, yeah. so you don't have to. Um, so, yes, yeah, so they'd already said this to investors. They didn't make a point of it previously. They have in this one. I'd like to take a little bit of credit for that, but I'm not sure that I can. Um, but, yes, interesting. Also, they mentioned that it would ha- be happening imminently. Yeah. So, we're talking quarter four this year. Yeah. So, before June. Yeah. Um, so, we might hear something around but mid-year it, uh, about who's I gone. I mean, it, imagine... Like I understand that we're in the world of business, right? So, so this is a this is an ASX listed company. This is the kind of vernacular that gets used. But then you think about the point of what was Mighty Craft Founders first, and it was predominantly about uplifting people, mm-hmm. right? Mm. People and their vision and their brands. And so they've created these bands. They've bought into them, and now all of a sudden it's like 
I mean, what did you say? Look, squirrel, and they've gone. Oh, better beer, and now they're just like offloading mm. yep. left, right, and so oh, they're ba- that's working. They're throwing it out of the ship so that the ship can go faster towards, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, better beer. And the volumes. I mean, if, uh, we mentioned this offline, but you know, there are breweries that would dream of a lifetime of getting up to two million mm-hmm. liters a year, which and is they've done it in a quarter, and they've done it so fast. And they're talking about they're talking about doubling that, you know, mm-hmm. by the end of Q four on a single product. Um, and so, you know, th- those are extraordinary large volumes at 2 million litres. You know, all of those economies of scale start to hit in terms of where you can actually make margin on product. Except it's still a contract brew. Like, and, and again, uh, yep, like, yep. go back and listen to my chat yep. um, with uh, Better Beer because mm. it was, you know, Fascinating. I, was, I spoke to uh, Mark Hazeman last year. At Mighty Craft. At Mighty Craft, sort of talking about this, asking the questions and then followed up. Um, because, and, and, and going to your, um, going to the big retailers thing again, speaking to Nick Cogger, he was the guy that had the insight. You know, he tried a lot of things, yep. had insights about what was the next thing. And this is the one where the three cherries has come up. They've had the good partner. They've had the really good idea. And they've created something. It's breakaway. And it's very hard to replace. Um, I'm sure if it gets big enough, um, one or either of the retailers will create their own in that category. But at the moment, it's a big enough um, thing to, to, to stand alone. Um, but it's so lucky that they've done that. Um, Mighty Craft's model, though, was to come in yeah. and incubate all of these small little breweries. And you're going... And now then, and now they are non-core assets, right? And it just sort of, mm-hmm. it really paints a fairly clear picture of the how tough the market is, how tough the market the and is. the evolution of Mighty Craft as a company and where mm. its focus has come from and now is. But that's sorry, and that's what I was going to say about Mighty Craft and um, Better Beer is it's still contract brewed, and as they say, you never really get the benefit of scale when you're contract brewing because mm. you're um, – the, the way that you do if you own your own brewery. So how big is it going to have to become before they have to invest in infrastructure? Would you invest in infrastructure of one from one beer? Well, if you don't, Ooh. it doesn't speak much about your future. Well, yeah. I, I, I don't because know. Because there's a I difference mean. between toll bre- between contract brewing and brewing under licence, I'd imagine. You know, there's a – I mean, you look at it and you go – you know, the the example that you always give of Stone and Wood, right? Stone and Wood is really one beer. I mean, they made lots of other beers, but they are one beer. Mm. Yeah. They are a – and they have survived and built a Goliath of a business and a brand around one beer. So it does happen and it does work, um, but, you know, it's pretty – Did it though? Mm. That, okay. I don't know. The founders sold out pretty well. Oh, yeah. 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 I didn't mean sell out like that. that. I meant, I meant um, divested and were. I didn't. Yeah, but I didn't again, mean it like that. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. Oh, I didn't ra- mean the vernacular like the way that uh, you like to see the vernacular. That, that rabbit hole, because yeah, there, there's a lot to that about. Mm. Did they have to, or did they decide yeah. to? Or, but, you know, but, did um, and Mighty Craft have already tried bricks and mortar, and it's not gone well for them. Fair enough, it was venues, and fair enough, it was during COVID, but they did put a lot of effort and time in that and now they're offloading that as well. Mm. So it's a really... They um, might not want to put the boat, push the boat, are they? Yeah. It was... Um, 
interesting reading and you know mm. interesting reading there we go so better beer um working uh newstead great so i'll just say if you mm. haven't read it really interesting it's probably not um you know it, it, it's it, a little it, niche that one it, it's a little <laughs> niche but uh, you know the, the floods were big news um and then mm-hmm. people move on yeah um and I, I think one of the things you know that we do well at, at Bruce News is, you know, sort of looking at um, the, the, the long-term effects and what the learnings are um, mm-hmm. because we're an industry publication. And, yep. you know, are there things that we can learn from the breweries that were impacted? You know, what can you do to prevent flood risk um, to, to your yep. brewery, even if you are in a flood area? And I know some breweries have put their wiring up at a certain height and things yep. like that because, yep. I mean, Newstead... Um, is going to be offline for some time and yep. months, I reckon. And, and they haven't made a big thing. They haven't no, done the well with me. Do you know this is part of the reason why I wanted to when you came back and told me that Newstead was going to be shut for the foreseeable, as in its brewing operations, not necessarily its bar. I thought, well, they haven't made a huge fuss about it. Not that that would be a problem because I probably would, mm-hmm. but you know they're still trucking through. They've got a plan. They've got a plan for reopening. They're talking about um, other avenues to get revenue they've got their other site so they're being really resilient and I think that is just an indicator of the health of some breweries and we can only improve on that by learning from the example of them Mm. and resilient after two years of COVID right because it's not like it's just (laughs) and it's the same as when people you know this was the example I thought of it's pestilence next oh no we've had pestilence it'll be um um, those bloody fire ant things that are coming. Have you seen that <laughs> oh, thing that are like no. creeping down? Anyway, but plague of locusts. Yeah, yeah. So it's a thing. You know, when Melbourne, um, when Victoria had, you know, the bushfires mm-hmm. and then COVID, and we've sort of had COVID yeah. then flooding. It is those um, layering on of challenges that really lets the businesses that will be viable long term stand out. And it, like we were saying just off air, that Marcus even said, you know, it's really hard to communicate how bad this is for us because people have kind of forgotten and yep. also it's not every brewery in mm. Brisbane that was hit. It's, it there's was a few that got hit really yeah. bad in northern yep. New South Wales and um, southeast Queensland. So it's hard to, to have that narrative where, oh yeah, we've had a really, well, one kilometre down the road, they're fine. Mm. So They've all moved yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. So um, hopefully we kept that in mind and go to Newstead, go buy some Newstead beers. Mm. Hey, um, I've got a great idea, a beer name. Okay, non-core asset is a uh, – <laughs> it, it, so if, if, if I wanted to like have a beer that maybe wasn't selling all that well oh, and I was I about to doing. kill – If you can call it, non- if, can it, we call it Maybe I'll change asset. its name. So, you know, if I wanted to sort of label my beer non-core asset <laughs> – I'd love that. Any Please ideas do that, someone. <laughs> any ideas where I would go to sort of get my canning uh, labels done? I would go to our core asset – Rallings labels, stickers, and packaging. Nicely done. <laughs> You're welcome. Rallings labels, stickers, and packaging can help you with all of your labelling needs for, for your bottles and cans. They can shrink sleeve, but they can also do tap decals, barcodes, and shrink sleeves ready. Uh, I don't think I've applied to empty cans. That's what happens when you come in halfway through the, the ad read. <laughs> but you know all of that. Um, maybe you don't remember that the number to give them a call on is one three hundred eight five two two three five. But you don't need to because it is in the show notes and it is on their directory listing on Brews News. But as I said at the start of the show, you know, not only do they help you with your packaging, they help you with your, you know, understanding of the beer world by you know sponsoring our coverage from the Craft Brewers Conference in uh, Minneapolis, um, which will be coming at you next week. And uh, we thank them. And it's just another investment that they're making, not just in their own business, but in the industry. So yes, yeah. it's an ad, but we're going to be able to bring a lot of the 
um, over the horizon um, stories, thought leading. thought leading content that's coming out of CBC. If you can't travel, if your business isn't big enough to take you there, Rallings is helping us out by giving you the uh, best bits of CBC coming at you next week. What was the line that you said before? We're going so you don't have to. Yes. <laughs> we do it so you don't have to. Yeah, I um, wonder what Minneapolis is like. Does it sound like a no? It doesn't thriving. Sound very <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's going to be. You know where you could go. Nine degrees. They said take a light jacket. I'm going oh, nine degrees light no, jacket. No, that's Can I just say, jacket. if you were thinking about travelling for beer and you weren't going to go to Minneapolis, I'd go to New Zealand. Hashtag NZAL God, you are the ad queen today, Sabrina. I'm so proud. We are now doing Mailbag, uh, which is sponsored by New Zealand Ale Trail. Um, if you are thinking of going to New Zealand now that it's open um, and international travel is, it's a little bit painful, but it's worth it if you're going to visit some of those New Zealand breweries um, that you'll find on the New Zealand Ale Trail, www.nzaletrail.com. You'll find a link to that in the show notes. Now, an email from Dylan Behrens, uh, Little Gippsland Brewing. Yes, Dylan says, hey, Matt slash Claire. We're a combo now. Uh, we are still. <laughs> we are. We're like Angelina. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I did not go end well, you know. You guys uh, could be clam. I don't know how to put that together. <laughs> Clat. That's horrible. Mare. Malaire. Malaire. No, I'm all right, thanks. Don't think that works. Sorry, Matt. Um, anyway, Dylan says, we are still in early stages yet, but it's refreshing to get updates on the industry and where it's all heading. These coupled with the IBA meetings are great insights. No agenda, just listening to your podcast, and I thought I would let you know you're doing an amazing job. Uh, don't think enough of that is done these days. Hope all is well. P.S. Also, if you can let me know where beers will trend for the next 10 years, that would be greatly appreciated. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Dylan. So Dylan's setting up a new brewery. That's... The context of that, Little yes. Gippsland. Um, so, yeah, welcome to the industry, Dylan. And don't know if lagers, mate. Get into lagers. Get into it. Oh, um, you heard it here first. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Did you see over the weekend there was a tweet um, that somebody said, you know, stop all this IPA stuff and start making lagers. And then somebody else uh, posted, um, yeah, because you know, the surest way to go out of business is make brown ales and you know <laughs> things like that. The market wants what the market wants. Breweries mm. are responding, yes, if we live in the bubble we do get tired of it and walking into places and see it doesn't mean you can't have other things but the market yeah. sorts itself out and you speak to any brewery the number of brewers who three or four years ago when we were talking to them were rolling their eyes and saying no but then suddenly said oh well you know the young brewers need to stay engaged you know so we had to you know give the youngins something to do mm-hmm. and now some of those same beers are part of their core range and they're yeah. making and, and that's what the market does and mm-hmm. uh, it's not my cup of tea i have some fun at it um i talk about the impact that it's going to have on you know the differentiation of beer you know at, at, at the margins but people want what they want and that's what brewers have to do and incidentally that's why corona exists where's the trend for the next 10 years the other thing that the iba report for the next 10 years pulled out was um you know, that people are still trialling. So so we have on this podcast talked at length about sort of are beer festivals still meaningful and so on and so forth. But one of the insights that they found is that people are mm. actually trying new beers at festivals. And that's the point of entry f- into craft beer sometimes is yeah. that the sampling of but it. But I think the look of the festival needs to change because they're no longer mm. that, well, this is, what, this is the only way you'll get craft beer. Yep. It needs to provide a reason for you to go to the festival as opposed to... And I think some of it yeah. is that trialling new product, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that that is really um, 
you know, it, it says that there's still a place. They're going to continue to evolve these types of festivals, but there is clearly still a place for people who are wanting to try new things without committing to a six-pack, mm-hmm. you know. Yep, absolutely. And that is – I don't think we talked about when we went to Eaton's Hill – BFS, oh, Sabrina. Yes, don't think I we went. talked about that. <laughs> but when you said, you know, they might need to evolve, I thought, well, Eaton's Hill was a blast and we yeah. had, saw some great, we caught up with loads of good people in the industry. Um, there was still an air of blokes drinking to excess. They were diff- and sometimes Sabrina. <laughs> <laughs> I no, think you fruit never. salad, uh, stone and wood, yummy, yummy, mm-hmm. to fruit salad by the Wiggles was a definite <laughs> highlight for me, the Eaton's Hill Festival. As a mother uh, of a toddler, I want you to know that that resonated. <laughs> deeply. <laughs> deeply resonated. I was there for it. Um, but uh, it, it was. And yet I would say that I was really pleased. Like, actually, there were a lot of women there. But I don't necessarily know that that was reflected. You know, we were talking afterwards about like the social media and stuff. No, it was all blokes. Absolutely, and, but there were loads of women there. There were there it was were, like fifty fifty. Yeah, it really felt mm-hmm. very very um, a gender sort of mm. m- much more gender balanced. But I agree with you. The marketing and so on and so forth was not there. Um, but still, people were trialing new beers. Yep. We so definitely did. we definitely did, and we know that Gabs, <laughs> um, all the Gabs festivals, Brisbane City. All coming Melbourne up. Yep. are all coming up, followed by, you know, like we're hitting festival season hard. So mm. it's... Um, and people are back in action, which was quite nice. Yeah, people are lucky to see um, it. We didn't talk about Crosby Hops. No. When all, we went through the news list. Did you, discuss? Uh, Did you want to discuss? Uh, uh, no? Have we yes, moved yes. on from below the fold? I just look, very, very interesting stuff out of New Zealand, you know, and it's probably something we need to look a little bit deeper into. So Crosby Hops, which is a US hop, um, integrated hop merchant, grower, supplier, has partnered with Hop Revolution, which is a fairly new entrant in the New Zealand hops. But it comes on the back of a number of other partnerships where New Zealand hops itself has partnered with Charles Farm um, Farms to distribute and New Zealand hops is the grower cooperative which mm-hmm. typically means that you've got you know 20 odd growers who come together to market and distribute the hops as a single unit but then we've also started to see Clayton hops selling hops into Australia and um, US well They've they've got their own packaging, their their own pelletizing investment. Um, are they selling into the US themselves? Oh, I, I know that they're selling into Australia. Mac hops Mac was selling hops directly into the US. So you've got some of the major, some of the largest growers who are part of a cooperative, investing and distributing themselves outside of the cooperative. Um, and then you've got a whole lot of private equity investment and a whole lot yep. of other things outside of the cooperative that are happening in what is, in global terms, a very, very small industry whilst it's very significant for New Zealand. So that's just like a watching brief thing for us. What did it say? I thought I saw a stat provides like 1% of the world's hops or something. Was it like a really tiny, tiny fraction? And and Australia is very, very small as well. So I think New Zealand hops... Um, is about the same size as HPA yeah. alone, and HPA is about eighty percent of Australia. If it's if I'm remembering yeah. things correctly, um, but anyway, it's yeah, very very interesting. Watching brief over New Zealand. You know, the other article here was convoy doubles down on New Zealand, and so you know, there's still. Uh, I mean, 
my babies are all still doing really well. <laughs> like the New Zealand industry is still, you know, pushing really hard. Like it's clear that there's a lot going on over there and there's investment happening left, right and centre at yeah. all aspects of the supply chain with respect to Kiwi beer. It was interesting to see on the weekend again, uh, look, and I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter, so it's interesting when significant things do just happen to wade by, but somebody posted um, just a general question. I think it was someone from America um, saying, if you weren't going to go to, you know, obviously America is the best place in the world to drink craft beer, but if you're going to, where else is on your bucket list? And New Zealand um, really came through very, very strongly. I think a number of Australians or people associated with Australia said, oh, you know, Western Australia and things. But New Zealand has an incredibly strong brand, um, both around hops and around um, beer and Mm. innovation globally, which I think is fascinating. And again, not so much an I told you so, but this is a... You deserve credit because when you were with the Brewers Guild of New Zealand, it wasn't New Zealand hops that led the charge to have the New Zealand Pale Ale, New Zealand IPA as style guides. It was the Brewers Guild. It was. Which was when mm-hmm. under your helm. Well, yeah. that and, and, and the Ale Trail, but I think what New Zealand has done really successfully and, you know, I was only a very tiny component of the, the long term, but they've really built a strong brand New Zealand um, connecting raw ingredients produced there. So, you know, uh, Gladfield Malt um, is in Canterbury, mm-hmm. NZ Hops, um, and all of our hops producers, um, you know, Garage Project have done a lot of work in this space as well, but really connecting raw ingredients with sort of the number eight wire, the sort of innovation that is craft beer, and putting those two things together and pushing that out globally. And and I think, um, it, you know, uh, the worlds are all colliding because domestic tourism became really important. So beer tourism started taking off as well or being more important than it had been in the past. Um, and tourism and agriculture are New Zealand's big exports. And so beer sort of fits somewhere in the middle of those two things. And so, um, you know, I think New Zealand's done a really good job there. So it does punch above its weight in terms of global recognition given the mm. size of the market when we talk about the size. You know, what's considered a large brewery in New Zealand – barely meets the you know small brewery categories out of the US so Mm. um, Mm. yeah awesome love them so proud excellent in other news it's about time we gave up on glass wine bottles just following on from our discussion of sustainable packaging the other week this is uh, this was an article about uh, whether it's the wine industry should give up bottles which at first glance I was like how dare you like I love it but they said the same thing about cork well there we go. Exactly. Things change, apparently. But Imagine, then that's also my argument for the... cans of beer versus beer because it loses the prestige element of mm. beer. I mean... No, not that beer ever had the prestige oh, yeah, dividend I mean, that wine always had. we've all drunk wine out of a box, haven't we? Oh, I, had a, um, I thought you were going to say out of the bottle. I was going to say, I speak only, <laughs> I only did when I came here. It's not well known in the rest of the world. Oh, Good old bagged wine as far bagged as Bagged wine, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you didn't grow up here in the nineties without. Oh, I'm not going to say. It. I'm not going to say it. But I believe there was some you're way about you'd to say uh, the Luna Fortune. fortune. Yeah. Yes, I, I <laughs> Were never you tied did that. to the clothesline? I've heard about this one. Uh, it's I. I never we participated. Had a um, I never participated. But it is. It's this. So that has existed for decades, right? Mm. Wine in a bag, uh, or in a invention, box. Invention, by the way. Um, oh, there you go. And so, I mean. That and the hill's hoist. Um, and so it has existed forever. And so then 
it's moved into, you know, like um, this article because it's yeah. got pictures of a Tetra Pak, which yeah. is an alternate. Little sippy juice juice box of well, wine. Well, Tetra, I, I'm pretty it. sure that happened in um, yeah, in Europe. So the Tetra Pak mm. use of the mm-hmm. that for wine. Um, and now they're moving into cans. Yes, so you're getting can more wine. And, and your Proseccos mm-hmm. and more of those are coming into sense. cans. And it's really interesting because I hadn't thought about it in the same way because you sort of go bottles and box wine yep. and they have two different purposes. Um, <laughs> to but, put it mildly, yes. <laughs> but I hadn't really thought about sort of canned wine because I would never purchase no, it. No, same. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure how I feel about that to start off with. I've heard it being promoted in American podcasts mm. that I listen to. And I've seen the odd one, but I always thought it was just a bit of a gimmick rather than, a, oh, we are definitely doing this. This is going to be our range forever. Matt, what? Are, why would we not want wine in a can i mean like so I, I, I so some of the beach well, yeah th- th- there are right thing. wine right. um because we talk about which adam trip smith serial entrepreneur um, yeah. i, I think beer industry people who have launched wine in a can or been involved mm. in wine in a can that sold out to i think it was cub um, yeah i remember if i remember so yeah, it, 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 it's certainly there and it, it, it's one of those things that you know festivals like if you go to a festival wine in a bottle is problematic. Yeah. Um, although quite often wine is allowed, you know, glass wine bottles yes, are allowed. Yes, and that's always been an issue at like farmers markets and stuff and like let's that. Let's face it, a wine bottle, a single wine well bottle is a much better club than a... with that, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, it, so there is a perception <laughs> thing. Yeah. But then, you know, innovation is one of those things. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, innovation, um, the unintended consequence of some of those things is a change in perception or a change in... It is, but it doesn't have some of the same... I I guess I was coming at it from... So, you know, some of the canning issues we've seen, you know, re-fermentation in cans and, you know, exploding cans for some of our beer styles Mm. and things. That's not the same... That's not... But that's not the packages issue. That's Mm -hmm. the beers that's going in, so... Yeah, but wine doesn't... We'll never have that issue. I don't know enough. I couldn't. Yeah, Ooh, I that's what I get. That was my yeah. question, right? Like I guess that was by, a I mean, potentially. A, Maybe a, if it's carbon, you, you'd have to make I a mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah there, there would have to be issues, but I don't know enough about wine to. Uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, there are a number Someone, of oniologists yeah. um, <laughs> can tell us. Yeah, that's it. Can tell us in um, our listenership. I do think this is a good thing for beer, though. Like we've had the argument yeah, for years yeah, about yeah, the yeah. equality of wine and beer, and that. There is none. Yeah. At lots of different levels, consumer perception, governments, all of that kind of stuff. If people are seeing why not as this prestigious thing that you have in a fancy bottle. It's just a flavour source that you ex- exactly. flavour and it's levelling out the playing field a little bit. Yeah. Come on, why? That's, that's a very good point. That's a really good point. And have and some occasionally. I hope that I was gonna say I hope there's not a note of surprise creeping into that because it was but it was a it was a very good point. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's yeah, that's really interesting. And there was that piece. Where do we read it about recently? About that question of sort of, um, yeah, that the changing perceptions of wine over beer. And one of the places is that in the non-alc space, beer has been leading the way in terms of flavorful. Oh, yeah. So actually, beer has been leading the better for you category yep. across alcohol products. And in Australia, mm-hmm. the the one running in behind it is. Um, non-out cocktails which so juice is juice anyway (laughs) i just i don't get it for myself but that is apparently like of the data you know um australia is kind of really pushing into the non-out cocktails Mm -hmm. again look at our trade look at the trademark listings um 
But wine is kind of have because alcohol is such a significant component, hasn't been able to get the flavors right. Mm-hmm. So it's actually lagging in that in one of the categories that's exploding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the alcohol yep. in the in the non-alc alc space. Um, and so... And know. I know that the wine industry, the Australian wine industry, knows that. Yeah. And there are big movements happening to rectify that situation in yeah, wine. Right. So we do have to keep on the front foot as the beer industry. So all of these things are, as you say, starting to pull them mm. a little bit closer together in terms Which I of... I like a lot. Yeah, in terms of sort of public perception around which is a good quality classy product and which is the thing mm. that everybody just drinks everywhere because mm-hmm. if you yeah cool yeah that's interesting there we go that is interesting that is the news and the views that you need to use in your business this week let us know what you think uh that wraps up another week of news your hosts have been myself matt kirkegaard claire burnett and sabrina kunz the show is produced by vivian topalovich and edited by joe helder we thank cry malt rallings labels stickers and packaging new zealand Isle trail and thirsty merchants for their support in making this episode possible thank you all also for listening we couldn't do well we could do this without you but there wouldn't be a lot of point but you can share your thoughts on the show you can join in the robust conversation by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au or leaving a review on your favourite podcasting service Um, if your emails or we discuss something you've raised in our Facebook group uh, please shoot us a note with your postal address so we can get you one of our non-registered but trademarked uh, dog bone bar blades (laughs) And uh, we'll get it to you in the mail. And uh, looking forward to hearing next week's show without me. And on that, we're out. Boom.